0: all of you here. You know, I feel uh, that my spirit's telling me that I just need to pray before we do anything else, so let's bow our heads and pray together, okay? Lord Jesus, uh, at this moment, we come to you as our Lord and King and Savior and friend, and Father, I pray that you uh, help to soften every heart that is in this room. I pray that you prepare us to hear your message today. I pray that you would uh, speak to us in Uh, Now and the hours ahead, days ahead, help us to slow down, Lord. Help us to find the meaning of Christmas in all of the hustle and bustle and anxiety and all of the things that we're experiencing right now. Lord, uh, I pray your spirit come and just dwell upon us in this place right now. Help us to throw aside out of our mind all that we've got to do in the days ahead. We act like we're going to run out of time. We act like we don't have enough. We act like we need more. And Lord, I pray that you help us see that all we really need is you. And I pray you bless us with that. Even today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to be in the book of Luke today, chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about the good news uh, that we often mentioned in our churches today. We read it in the Bible. We speak about it. We encourage each other to tell the good news and we sing about it. And what makes the good news good? If you're like me, uh, you're just about tired of watching the news on TV because of all the political things that's been happening and the COVID and all of the things we're hearing about that and the ups and downs, the truth and the falseness of it. And, you know, I'm ready to get past all of this. I want to, uh, I want some good news. What makes good news good is it's told against the backdrop of bad news. When you watch the news, it's always bad news. Plane crashing, crops being destroyed, people killing each other. Now Channel 9 has a little segment called Something Good. And they try to tell us something that's positive that's happening in our society, something good that is taking place. We need more of that. But what makes the good news good is it's told against the backdrop of bad news. So when you and I talk about the good news, people need to understand that there's bad news to go along with that good news. So this morning, I want us to read the story found in Luke chapter 2. Glenn's got the right idea. He's standing up. Ready to go. Now he's sitting back down. Glenn, you got to get back up. (laughs) We're going to read Luke chapter 2 and we're going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to talk and see uh, what this good news is. Let's stand together. Verse 1 says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all of the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Canarius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee through or from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Verse 6, And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there was there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace Among men with whom he is pleased. Let's stop there and pray again. Father, bless your word in our heart today. Help us to see the importance of this story. Help us to realize it. Let us fill it with the joy that these angels spoke of. Let us be full of that joy when we leave this place because of this story and what you have done in our own heart. And I pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This is not only good news, this is the best news ever, that God would send a Savior to us. You know, there's two things that I want to share with you that keep this story from being appreciated. Number one, it is the most popular story out of the Bible in the entire world. When people talk about the birth of Christ and Christmas, which is celebrated worldwide. This is the story they're talking about. And so it is the most popular and well-known story from the Bible in the entire world. And that in and of itself makes it, even among Christians, less
1: important
0: because it is so popular. Because it doesn't really relate to the problems that I'm facing right now in my life. The story's a great story. It's warm. It's fuzzy. Makes us feel good. We like seeing pictures and and nativity scenes. And we like seeing banners talking about it. We like seeing all of that stuff. But really, you know, what's the big deal? That's how the church seems to feel around Christmas time. I know you don't want to feel like that. But what happens is we all get so tied up and got so many places to go, and so many things to do, and so many people to see that we forget the beauty of God's story of our Savior coming to the world. So it's unappreciated. Another reason it's unappreciated is because people don't realize the desperate state they are in. When it comes to sin and God, most of the world doesn't and do not realize where they stand with God and their desperate need of this Savior that this story tells. So, people love hearing it. People like reading it. We want to read it with our family at Christmas morning before we open the presents. and, And as soon as it's read, everybody says, That's great. What's for lunch? And we just go on through the Holiday season without giving the significance of this story any credit. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to pull out the significant things that I found in this story with you in these verses, and I want to talk about those with you. You know, 50% of the church, whether they're a true believer or just a church member, and there's a difference whether your name's on the roll or you really are a true believer of Christ, 50% of the church believes that people go to heaven because they're ultimately good. If that's true, then this story is just a warm and fuzzy thing that we like to read and it really doesn't make that much difference. But if the Bible is true and correct in stating that you and I are separated from God by our sin, then this story holds great significance for us. Amen? I believe the Bible is true. I believe this story holds great significance for me. I believe that man is separated and are separated from God, and they are justly condemned for their sin. And this story is the best news anyone could ever read or hear or understand. And because of that, I want to share these things with you. Number one, I believe this story about the Christ, the Savior, is important because it is historically true. All right? Let's look at that. This is something you and I need to be able to express to people. Today we watch television about Christmas and we see Santa Claus and we see the Grinch and we see Charlie Brown. Amen. And we we tie those little non-fiction or or fiction characters. We try to tie them into the Christmas story and the Christmas scene. And that somehow de Legitimizes the Christ of the story. Charlie Brown's Christmas, the Grinch, that's, the Grinch that stole Christmas, and, and Santa Claus, and all of those stories somehow take away from the historical facts about Jesus Christ and his coming into this world. Who cares if it's history, right? Who cares if the angels really were true and happening? Who cares about the shepherds or the baby or Mary or all of the things in the heartwarming story? What's the difference if it's true or not? Well, it's something that you have to decide on. Every man has to decide if this is a true story or not. For most of the world, it's not a true story. It's a fable. goes right along with Charlie Brown. goes right along with Santa Claus. But for some... It is true. If it is true, then this story confronts every man who puts his foot on this earth. If this is a true story, it confronts you head on. Why? Because if it's true, it means that God exists. Amen? If this is a true story, it means that there really is a God and that he exists. And this is something that every man must be confronted with. If this is a true story, then it means that this God came into humanity. He brought himself into humanity for a purpose and for a reason. If this is a true story, then it is true that God sent a Savior into this world. Amen? If that's a true story, then it is also true that people who are without this Savior are in desperate need of Him. This confronts every human being on the face of this earth. Is it true or is it fable? I believe it's true. I believe it confronts every man. I believe that God sent a Savior for every man. This true story, if it's true, means that salvation is not based upon my feelings or my ideas. It is based upon Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, this Savior, if this is a true story. You believe it because it's true. Amen? I believe it because it's true, even when it brings persecution into my life. When people mock me or laugh or talk about or ridicule me for my belief in Jesus Christ, I still hold to the fact that he's real and he's true and he came into the world this way. Right? So I believe it's important that we see this as a historical event that was true in history. Number two, I see the importance of this story being true or about the Christ. It is based upon... Who he is. Look in verse 11. It says, and the angel said, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. He's called three different things right there in that one verse. Let's talk about those. Actually, four different things. Number one, born for you. Okay? He was fully man. Think about this. He was born into a family that was going to pay their taxes. How much more human can you get than that? He was born into a family going to pay their taxes. And I can hear his dad grumbling all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register. And he's complaining about it the whole time. Paying taxes to these sorry Romans. People that we don't even like and don't even want. And we've got to go pay taxes to them. Can't you hear it? Don't you grumble when you're going to the tax man to pay the IRS? We all do that. I can assure that Joseph was doing it as well. This shows the humanity of the story. Jesus born into a family. Born from a woman into a family of humans. He was fully man. He had to be fully man. And otherwise he could not have bare or bore the weight of our sin upon him. God could not ask someone not human to be the sacrifice for humans. It had to be a human. It had to be a man. It had to be this Jesus fully man as he was. When the angel or the shepherd showed up to see him, I'll I'll guarantee you he did not have a halo on his head. I'll guarantee you the songs we sing say baby Jesus didn't cry. I'll guarantee you he was crying. He was a baby. He was a human baby. Okay? I would like to elevate him and think that he he was different than any other baby. And he was because God was in him, but he was still a man. He still had a grumbling little belly that needed to be fed. And when a baby's got a grumbling empty belly, they cry. There was no halo in that manger. There was no royal robe on Jesus. The Bible says he was wrapped in cloth. Not even a clothing. Rags he was wrapped in. Placed into a feeding trough, not a bed. Not a nice pillow under his head, not nice sheets, silken or satin sheets. He was in a manger, a feeding trough laying there. He was fully man, okay? This is important that you and I understand this. The good news of this story is based upon the person of Christ. He was a man for you and for me. He also was fully God. Look what it says in verse 11. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, look in verse 9. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. We go to verse 23, which we didn't read, but it talks about the law of the Lord. So Luke's writing this and he uses the Lord. Who is the Lord in the Bible? God. In the Old Testament, certainly God the Father. In the New Testament, the Lord is representative of God, Jesus Christ. So is there a different word that he used in verse 11? Savior, Christ. The Lord, no. Same word. So this baby was fully man, but he was also fully God. Christ the Lord. All right? It's important that we see that, that we believe that, that we understand that. There was no difference in words. He had to be a man to bear our sin. He had to be God to qualify for the sacrifice. Because man could not become The sacrifice on his own. No one was able to live that perfect, sinless life. Jesus, being fully man and fully God, was able to accomplish both. And he was able to do it because he did it for us. This is the only person ever in history to have this unique identity. Fully God and fully man. This was, excuse me, Jesus It also says that he was Savior. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior. Now a lot of us want that Savior, but we don't want to classify him as the Lord. But the Bible describes Jesus as Savior and Lord. If if you've got Jesus as Savior, but you're not submitted to him as Lord, I would venture to say you're not saved. Jesus must be Lord and Savior. You must submit to Him as the Lord of your life in order for Him to be your Savior. He said it like this, If anyone would come after me or follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus must be Savior and Lord. This is what the angel described him as. We cannot cut that in half and just have him as Savior alone. We must have him as he fully is, both Savior and Lord. It also says in that verse that he is the Christ. Now we understand that to be the Greek word, which means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, we read that he is the Messiah. That's simply the Hebrew word for the anointed one. Two languages, same meaning, the anointed one. What does that mean, the anointed one? Well, when you go to the Old Testament, you find two offices fulfilled in the Old Testament by anointing. What are they? The high priest is anointed and the king is anointed. Therefore, Jesus, the anointed one... Has now become our high priest. We read that in Hebrews. And he has also become our king. We read that throughout the entire scripture. So Jesus was the anointed one. The Christ. Now his expectation of the Jews. Was that he would come more in the kingly fashion. Than he would the priestly fashion. But Hebrews certainly shows us that Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator. Between us and God, us and himself, this Jesus, this fully man and fully God, this Lord, this Christ, this Savior. He's all of those things to us. Psalms chapter 2 describes him as this Savior. Okay, I mean as this King, if you want to read that later on. So this title then... That the angel has given to Jesus certainly points to him as the one who fulfilled the prophecies. It was prophesied that this person would come, that it was prophesied that this priest would come, it was prophesied this king would come and sit on David's throne. Jesus fulfilled all of that. He is the one. Amen. You can't dispute that. He is the Savior. What do we need to be saved from? Because we're lost and we're undone. We're separated from God. We have come under God's just condemnation. Notice I added the word just there. I want you to make sure when you talk to people about that, that they're just not condemned because that's the way God sees it. They are justly condemned because God has made it that way. You and I are not unfairly treated by God in his judgment of us, in his punishment of us, in his discipline of us. We are justly deserving of those. And so it is a just condemnation that we come under. But Jesus comes to save us from the wrath of God against sin. You and I will find that we are hopeless, we are helpless without Him. The good news is that Jesus is above all things. He is Lord, He is Christ, and He is Savior. Anything less than that is not the good news of the Bible. When you look at a Jehovah's Witness, and they try to tell you that they believe in this man Jesus, but that He was not God's Son They are cutting out this section of scripture to say that he is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. Okay? When you look at the Mormon church, they're cutting out this scripture and placing a different title upon Jesus by calling him different things than this scripture calls him. When you look at all the other religions of the world in Islam, they cut out this To say that Jesus was a good prophet, a good man, a good teacher. But he is not the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. Anything less than those three fully defined is not the good news. Amen? It is horrible news for a man to believe those things and then face death and eternal separation from God when he perishes because he did not Understand the scriptures and the truth behind the scripture story. Number three, the good news about Christ the Savior is that he is for all people. Look in verse 10. And as the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. Look at verse 8 quickly there. It says, and in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now that very easily could have said something like this. In that same region there were some Pharisees and some Sadducees keeping watch over their scrolls and their rituals by night. Or it could have said something like this. In that same region there were kings and queens keeping watch over their treasuries by night. But it says there were some shepherds. Shepherds were the low man in society. Shepherds were the least prominent position someone could hold in society. For some reason God has a special place in his heart for shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Jesus is called the good shepherd. Here's what God says, or here's what Paul wrote. Uh, Certainly God said it, of course, but Paul writes it about this topic. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. So that no man should boast before God. God had these shepherds out into the field. You don't need an education to find Jesus. You don't need a PhD to find Jesus Christ. You don't need a down payment in a church somewhere to find Jesus Christ. You don't need any social standing to find Jesus Christ. Even a tribal man in the Jungles of South America can understand that he's a sinner separated from God. Just like any of us seated here today. That's all that has to happen is you need to understand you're a sinner separated by God. The gospel, according to this angel, is for all people. Amen? Not just for some. This gospel then involves the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Think about this just for a minute. What if these shepherds were out tending this flock by night and this flock was going to be used for the upcoming Passover celebration? And people would be sacrificing these lambs that these shepherds were tending for that Passover celebration that was coming up. And God says to these men, I want you to go see... The Lamb of God. Now they wouldn't understand that, and certainly they didn't understand that, and it wasn't indicated here. I'm just wanting you to use your imagination for a minute. That maybe God was guarding these sh- sheep with these shepherds, and he wanted to show them the true Lamb of God. You know, in God's perfect justice, he says this: that our sin brings our death. Amen? Our sin brings our death, and in God's perfect love and mercy, He provides the penalty that His justice demands. Remember when Abraham took Isaac, and God said, I want you to sacrifice your son to me, and Isaac lay on the altar and Abraham's ready to sacrifice his son and the angel says, stop. Now I know that you love me, and And Isaac says, where will we get the sacrifice? And there in the thicket was the lamb. And God, Abraham said to his son, God will provide. You see, God provided the sacrifice for you and me. In this beautiful story of this baby laying in a feeding trough. God's justice demands that sin be dealt with. And in God's love and mercy, he brought the penalty That would fulfill his own demand. That's a great God we have. Amen. That's a great God that we serve. You can trust him with your sin. You can bring your sin to him. And he will impart his righteousness to you. The good shepherd. Jesus cares for you more than any other can. He knows your deepest needs. He will protect you, and he will promise and give you abundant life. Because this good news about this Christ as Savior is for all people. A couple of more points I want to share with you. Number four is this good news about Christ as Savior brings light, then fear, then joy. All right, look in verse 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be For all the people. This is a shadow, all right, of what happened in your heart if you're a Christian. This is a foreshadowing of what happens in the heart of men when they are in darkness, separated from God. These shepherds were at night, watching over their flock by night, okay, It's the same situation that you and and I found ourselves in. We were in darkness. Look in verse uh, 78 of chapter 1. Probably on the same page of your Bible. But it says this, Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. The good news about the Christ the Savior is that it first brings us light. Okay? It says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You see that light. Shined on you and me through the Holy Spirit, bringing the light of the gospel into our life, opening our eyes to the truth of God, opening our eyes to salvation in the spirit world, and all the things that come with the Holy Spirit, convicting us and convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit did that. That's the light that shined upon us. And when that light shined upon those men, what happened to them in that uh, field? It says, and the angel suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. I'll never forget when I realized my sin. And what it was doing to me. And what it had done to me. And what it would continue to do to me if I did not accept God's gracious gift. At first the light shined on me revealing my sin. And I was afraid. I was in fear. But immediately, just like in the story, the angel says, do not be afraid. Immediately God dealt with me about my sin. And then the joy of realizing that my sin was forgiven flowed over me. You see that? We're in darkness. The light shines upon us. It brings fear to us because of the outcome of our sin. But immediately God deals with our sin and the joy of being saved. And our sin being forgiven overflows us. What a beautiful picture that is. Amen? Do you see that there with me? It's important that we do see that. Isaiah said it like this because of the light shining on him in chapter 6 verse 5 of his book. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And immediately God dealt with Isaiah and his sin, and God will deal with yours if you will bring it to him. I think uh, John Newton had it figured out when he wrote that song, right? Amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I want you to think of this next phrase in that song. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." You see that? It's a beautiful story of Jesus coming and laying in that manger and being the Christ, the Lord, and the Savior for us. God can accomplish great things. When you are in darkness, God will shine his light on you. And when you see that unapproachable intensity of that light, you will be in fear. But immediately the joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven and taken care of through Jesus Christ will bring untold joy to your heart. The last thing I want you to see is this in verse 15. The good news about Christ as Savior requires a personal response by you verse 15 and it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another let us form a committee let us send a delegation let us pray about this does anybody's bible say that no okay just Making sure you were listening. And it came about when the angels had gone away into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, they did not do those things. They did not say, hey, this is something we've always believed. We don't read it here in verse 15, but they responded by faith. Okay? We don't read that they responded by faith, but they did respond by faith. They said, let us go and see for ourselves this thing which we've seen and heard, which the Lord has made known to us. That's a response of faith. That's a response that you must have. When you look at the Christ child, When you understand your sin, when you understand He is Savior, Christ, and Lord, you must respond to that by faith. You can't send mommy or daddy or your brother or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You, you alone, have to deal with it. Remember, I told you at the beginning that if this story is true, that it confronts every man in this world. And right here, it confronts you today. Do you have Jesus? Is he your Lord, Christ, and Savior? How do you know that? You know it. You might have him as Savior, but he's not your Lord. I told you what that means. You've got to have him as both. Today, let him confront you. Today, come to him. Let his his righteousness envelop you and let your sin be forgiven. But you must respond to it by faith. I want you to look at something else that these men did. When they came to the uh, manger, to the what am I trying to say? Not the manger where he's laying, but where they kept him. Stable, thank you to the stable. And they heard the angel say, "Today has been born to you in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord." Don't you imagine they would have thought they would have found something different than they found? Don't you imagine they would have expected him to be dressed like I described earlier, crown on his head, purple, royalty, right? Things like that, but they didn't. They just found a little red-faced baby boy wrapped up in some rags, laying in some hay in a feed trough. And mom and dad there. Mom and Joseph anyway. I would expect that some people when they come to Christ they expect him to be different than he is. They expect him to be uh, a fixer of things. They expect him to be a, a, a genie in a lap. They expect him to be something but He is what he is, my friend, and when you come to him, you must change your expectations because he is God in the flesh and came to save you. Think about that, okay? Think about that with me. He's different than some people expect. And people need to change their expectations of Jesus and accept him for who he is and what he is. He is above all things. He is the creator. God, he's the savior of the world. I want you to look at something else there in verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They proclaimed Jesus. What was the statement they made known? It was the angel who told them. Do not be afraid for I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what did they do? They responded in faith by proclaiming that statement to everyone and made it known. Amen. What a beautiful picture of sharing testimony. Of you and I sharing testimony about this event, about this person, about this good news, about the best news ever.
1: One more thing
0: about those men and their response to this story. Look in verse 20. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. So their response by faith was to... Go and tell other people their response by faith was to praise the Lord. Their response by faith was also found in verse 20. And the shepherds went back. Went back. I wonder what that means. They went back. They went back to a, a new TV deal. They signed a contract to write a book. It's going to be called the shepherd's vision. They're going to make lots of money selling this book and and doing television shows, is that where they went back to? Where did they go? They went back. Where? They went back to their flock. They went back to work. They went back to their job. They went back to their school. They went back to their family. They just went back. They didn't get any great promotions or no... We don't even know their names, do we? We talked about that last week. We don't need to know the names. We would elevate these shepherds. We would make them the great shepherds, right? There's only one good shepherd. But they went back to their normal, everyday routine of life. I I, I got a friend that I met. uh, He's a roofer. And he has... The most special spirit about him. And he told me he's been doing this roofing for many years. But he said, you know what, Clay? He said, God didn't make me a a roofer. He said, roofing is my avenue to people. Every house that I put a roof on, I get to share Jesus Christ with that family. That's why I'm a roofer. I'm not a roofer to make money. I'm not a roofer to put on roofs. God gave me that place and position so that I would have an avenue into society to tell people about Jesus. Why are you at work? What do you do at your job? Why are you where you are? Why are you doing what you do? It's because you should be telling uh, people uh, about Jesus Christ. Okay? I want, to, I want to do one more thing. I heard a story and I want to tell it to you like I heard it. Isn't it good to always uh, go back in our childhood days and, and uh, remember things from the past, especially about people that dealt with us about God and things or told us about the Lord? You know, I remember people in my life like that. And unfortunately, I, I, I put those out of my mind until I was 34 years old. This guy I just told you about, this river guy, he got saved when he was eight years old, and he has been walking with the Lord ever since. I said, man, I'm jealous of you. Of all the years I wasted on me, I could have been walking with Jesus all those years like you. But anyway, this, my past, is about an uncle that I had named James. And he had a way of talking to me and my brothers and, and his children about, about the Lord. And, and James always loved to play the piano. He wasn't the greatest, but he was good. And and, uh, he, I would come over, I was the oldest of all of those kids and, and I would come over to his house and, and he would bring me into the uh, room where the piano was and we'd sit down and and he would try to teach me the piano. And I was interested at first. But then, you know, I got uh, more disinterested. Because everybody, all the other kids, my brother, sister, cousins, they're outside playing. And I felt kind of like, man, I want to get out there. But I was patient with Uncle James. And he would sit down. And, and one time, uh, it was getting close to Christmas. And he started talking to me about the Lord. And he said, Clay, you know, you can find jesus christ in everything and i said well okay uncle james he said you can even find jesus in the piano and i said uh he said yeah you can find christ in the piano i said well how how do you do that and he said well sit down there and uh, he said "I, i want you to play me the the eight note scale and i said okay i i can do that uncle james i can do that He said, okay, there's the good news. And I said, how can, what do you mean, there's the good news, how can that? He said, well, you played it, but, but you played it backwards. Uh, he said, I want you to play it the other way. I said, okay. He said, okay. Now the first way that you played it is the way I want you to play it. I said, okay. He said, did you hear the good news? And I said, no. And by this time, my mind's outside. I'm not interested in this. And he says, well, you played it correctly, but you've got to play it with some pauses on some of the notes. One, two, four, six, and seven. And by then, I'm like, Uncle James, can I go outside and play? He said, yes. Up I go. Out, I go to play. The next Christmas, my Uncle James dies on Christmas Eve. So we're all kind of bittersweet celebration. Uncle James is loved by everybody, but Christmas is coming, you understand the feelings. I go over there to his piano and I sit down and I put my head on my arm like this and I'm sitting there and I remember uh, the last things he taught me about finding the good news in the eight note scale right and then I said I remember him saying to play it backwards and then some miraculous way a year later I remembered the places he told me to pause and so I played the good news from the bible or from the piano that my uncle James taught me why don't you sing it with me okay joy to the world the lord is come let earth receive her king let every heart bear him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing let's pray Lord thank you for my Uncle James and teaching me to find Jesus in everything even in an eight note scale and Lord I pray today that as we close our Bibles and we think about that Christmas story that we find the truth in it that we find Jesus as Christ Lord and Savior that we know it's for all people that we know that you've given us a good shepherd and Lord that we respond by faith in a proper way to that story first receiving you and then telling about you and then praising you and then finding you in everything Help us to go back to ourselves and to our own life and to our work at school wherever we are and be faithful to you in these coming days. Help us to put aside the materialism and the busyness of Christmas and let us reflect on the Christ who came and gave up his kingly throne in heaven to die on a cross for me. I could never repay him and I know he doesn't ask me to but he does ask me to share him with all that I meet. And I pray I would in all the days ahead in Jesus' name.